This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Wingrin podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Adam Fow, my childhood friend onto the show. Adam is the CEO of Fow Fitness. He has built an Instagram following over 1.4 million people and has built an incredible business around helping people achieve their health and fitness goals. Let's get into it. Adam, how are you? Welcome to the show. What's up, Evan? Thanks for having me. Excited to have you. You are my most famous and third strongest friend from growing up. So it's, it's great to have you on the show. I don't call myself famous by any means, but now I want to know who's first and second strongest. You're the strongest. I knew that was going to get under your skin more, more, than, <laughs> more than the fame. It's been incredible watching you grow Foul Fitness and while growing Foul Fitness, building an Instagram following over 1.4 million. And I know your, your followers are loyal and love you and have been a big fan of watching you grow your business the past decade now. But I want to rewind. For those listening, Adam was my neighbor growing up. He lived a few houses down. And apparently during the pre-recording call, he said that I would never call for a play date. I would just show up and knock on the door. Speak to this, please. You don't remember that? It doesn't ring a bell. But back in the day when people actually used to play outside, we would call our parents' houses or, and we'd ask to, if you want to go play basketball or whatever. For some reason, you didn't believe in the phone, though. So you would just ring people's doorbells and ask if we wanted to play, which now looking back on it, I give you credit because I wish people did that now and no one does that now. But yeah, you were the guy or the kid that would ring the doorbell. You didn't believe in the phone. <laughs> I did hate the phone, but I also wonder <laughs> if subconsciously I knew there would be a higher conversion rate if I just went and knocked instead of calling. <laughs> Definitely. And you could ask Mark too, because I guarantee he, he would back me up on the ringing the doorbell. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> An interesting thing, reflecting back on it, like, yeah, I definitely did do that, but I have no idea why I didn't just call more often. I assume your mom was just on the phone. It was taken, so you had no other choice but to just run outside. That's 100% true. <laughs> she was always on the phone. And I thought so. <laughs> no cell phones back then, so it made sense. Yeah, well, it was a lot of backyard baseball that we used to play. And then in high school, it evolved into going to the gym, which I think I joined you for the first couple of workouts. Where were we going? Golds at the time or powerhouse? I, could, I remember a few distinct workouts. I know I took you to Bev's powerhouse, which is still where I go now. But I remember there were, you did take me to, I think it was sport time at the time. Then it changed the synergy. I remember you took me there once. But I know we definitely worked out at least three or four times together. And that's, I mean, I'm proud of myself that I had a gym that I was able to take you to. I was like 17. I didn't know what I was doing back then. You thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I guess I was the expert between us. I must have been 17. At 17, that's when you first started getting into weightlifting, right? Even earlier, 15. 15. Well, what was the initial impetus of, of getting into it? Well, I played baseball beginning of high school, middle school. Then around like ninth grade, I stopped playing baseball. I wasn't really active at all anymore. My mom was getting concerned that I wasn't doing any physical activity. So she suggested that I join the gym. So I did that. I joined with a. It wasn't you. It was, I don't know if I should say his name on this or not, but his first name, Alex. We joined together and we would go to the gym three days a week after school. 
And what my mom didn't realize was I kind of secretly always wanted to join the gym, but I didn't want to really admit that because I felt like admitting that is like, I don't know, I was self-conscious. I didn't want to admit that I wanted to improve my body. So when she suggested it, I kind of took that around with it and I never stopped ever since. And side note, important context, Alex, Adam, and I were on varsity bowling together at this time. So it was paramount for us to go to the gym in order to get big. I don't consider bowling a sport, but if you want to call it a sport, it's probably the most conducive sport to working out because it takes absolutely no energy out of you. And you could easily do it on the same day. There's no interference whatsoever. Maybe for you, I get a little bit sore from bowling, but (laughs) that makes one of us. So started working out at 15. I mean, you got pretty big pretty quickly, arguably too big. And I know you've made some blog posts or some posts on Instagram about this, about not bulking too quickly. But now, I mean, ever since I've been obviously in great shape. But going forward, you went to the Delaware for school, right? And what was Adam like in college? Were you heavily into going to the gym at that point? So I went to Delaware, but I never really wanted to go away to school. I kind of knew I wanted to stay local, but my mom, she wanted me to go away for the experience. So I did. I went away and I was still into working out then. I went to the gym. I was into all that. So let me just fast forward. So I went to Delaware a year and a half, ended up transferring back home to a school, Hofstra, that was local. I guess the main reason I just didn't like the whole going away was because I wasn't into partying. That's really all anyone did, just partying, drinking. And after a year of it, I I had enough of it. I always looked at like most people that age, they enjoy destroying their bodies. Like that's what they get enjoyment out of. I always just got enjoyment out of making my body feel better. Like that's just how I felt. So I wasn't enjoying it. That is why eventually I left. I don't want to say I left because I so into fitness. I think I got into fitness more so because I didn't like the alternative. It's not like fitness prevented me from doing other things. It was more so I didn't like doing those other things like drinking, partying and drugs. So fitness was like the extreme opposite. But I enjoyed that, which is how I got into it. I guess that's how I stayed into it, just because it was the alternative for me. But I don't think it was the other way around where fitness prevented me from doing other things. Right. That makes sense. So you transferred to Hofstra, graduated college. And then what happened next? So I graduated undergrad with a business management degree, got a job working for Geico for two and a half years. Didn't like it, but I did well. I was like promoted very, very quickly. And I got to a point there where I was like, all right, I don't want to be the rest of my life. My job there involved working with a lot of attorneys. And I kind of felt like I was equally as smart and capable as the attorneys I was dealing with on a daily basis. Law school was something I was always interested in. So I decided to leave there and went to law school. Got a full scholarship, went back to Hofstra. That was the plan at the time. I was going to hopefully be a lawyer, potentially working with similar insurance-wise, what I was doing, but getting paid more and having more responsibility as a lawyer rather than just an employee. And is that when you started your Instagram account or at least started posting fitness-related content? So while I was in law school, I think even right before law school, I saw people using Instagram. I saw them blowing up on Instagram. People that were really just like me, growing well on Instagram, making money in fitness. And I honestly, I was like jealous of them. I was looking at them like, why are they able to do this? And I can, like, I'm just as capable as them. Why am I not doing this? And I was starting to get angry and like jealous of them. And then I start looking at myself and I'm like, well, you're not doing it because you're not doing it. No one's going to hand this to you. If you want to make something of it, take advantage of social media the way they are. So I started posting on Instagram and my page started growing and it started growing more. 
and I became getting absolutely obsessed with how it worked and making content and posting and figuring all that stuff out. This is probably like the first year of law school. What year is this? This is 2015, 2016, probably 2016. So my page is growing. It's growing. At this time, Instagram was different than it is now. It was definitely easier to grow. The algorithms changed. But at the time, I would say I figured it out. Like I said, I was obsessed. I was on all day trying to figure out how it works. 10,000 followers, 50,000, 100,000. And before you know it, I'm at a point where I saw a lot of potential and I started having the thought while in law school, if you handle this right and you capitalize on this correctly, there's a good chance this could actually work out and you might not actually have to be a lawyer. So that thought was very motivating. I would get questions every day asking me advice. And it got to a point there where I felt like I was getting so many questions and spending so much time answering these questions that if I just had something to provide these my followers with, that they were not overly expensive, but enough to make money off of, I think it would work. So I basically wrote an ebook that was pretty much the document I would have wished I had when you knew me in high school, when I started working out, all of it, you referred to them mistake when I overbulked. That was one of many mistakes I made. So it was basically what I wish I would have had at the time to get to where I am now cut out all the in-between, all the confusion, all the frustration, all the mistakes I made so people wouldn't have to make that mistake. Had no idea how I was going to sell. It sold okay in the beginning. I eventually learned marketing and how to push it. It sold very, very well. And it sold well enough to the point where I'm sitting there in law school and I'm like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. This is, this is going to be my full-time thing. So a year and a half in law school, I was doing just fine. And I knew I wasn't going to be a lawyer, but I finished law school anyway. And then when I graduated... I graduated, what, 2017 or 18? So I forgot which year, but I haven't done anything with that since. Wow. And by the way, we could drop the ebook in the notes. It's incredible. It really is just a simple... It's only like 15 pages, right? It's like 40 now, I think. But I mean, you could still buy it. I don't even sell it directly anymore. I just include it in my membership subscription now. But I wrote that for a long time. So a year and a half into law school... You dropped out because you knew... Well, well, I didn't drop out. I did graduate, but I mentally dropped out. But (laughs) (laughs) I was still in the top 5%. Just because I had these thoughts, I was still doing well. I honestly felt like law school provided me enough free time to do all this stuff. Other people in law school, they're complaining that they have no free time. But I thought when you come from the real world working a job that you don't like and now you're in school, it's a completely different mindset. So I thought I had all this free time and that's how I was able to do all this stuff on the side. That's interesting. And I know a few people now that have gone to law school after working for a few years, and they all feel that way, which is a whole topic for another time of when is the right time to go to law school or get a graduate's degree. But it sounds like for you, it was great doing that after a couple of years of working at Geico. I think if you go straight from undergrad, you're burnt out with school. So you have a different mindset. Once you go to the real world, you miss school and you appreciate a lot more. So I think you have a different mindset. So I mean, everyone's different, but That was at least how I felt. Initially, when you were building your Instagram audience, you said you became obsessed with the algorithm and it's changed over time. But in the beginning, was there a certain follower account that if you can get to a certain follower account, then the snowball effect will happen and you'll just organically be able to increase? The exact post, I remember what happened. It was a Transformation Tuesday used to be a thing. So on Tuesday, people would post like transformations. And there was one particular one. It was a picture of me when I was 16 with my sister when she was 12. And then it was a more recent photo of us, how we look now. And I didn't even know what viral meant. So it went viral for the first time. And you know when something goes viral because I had like 3,000 followers when I posted it. And by the time like the traction of that post, was, I had like 8,000. So I grew like 5,000 followers from this post. 
And that like, it was like a drug. I'm like, oh, wow, that was powerful. How do I do that again? So I spent my time trying to like replicate that. So the following Tuesday, I did it again with a different before picture of me and a different after picture of me and it happened again. I went viral. I gained another few thousand, over 10,000 followers. I just kept trying to replicate that kind of post because that's all I knew at the time. So now those posts don't necessarily do what they used to do, but that thought process is basically what got me going. You try something, it works. You try to replicate, you try to copy it. You try something else, it doesn't work. You, you scratch that. You just keep trying different things until they work. But your question was about a certain number of followers. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a number of followers, but you do get to a point where I guess you see, well, I guess when I hit 50,000, that was when my dad said to me, he's like, we were at a Yankee game. And he's like, you do realize if you look around, you basically have this entire stadium following you. And when he put that into perspective for me, I realized how many people that was. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're right. And that was 50,000. I'm over a million now. So I don't think I ever actually could comprehend how many people that actually is. You should never actually see them. It's just a number on a screen. But it's not so much about the number. I think it's more about the relationship you have with the number. You do need it to have a certain number. But just because you have a certain number of followers doesn't mean you're going to be successful. There's people that have way less followers than me that are more successful. And there are people that have more than me who are more successful than. So it's not necessarily about the number, but you're not going to be successful with 500 followers for the most part. So you mentioned you posted that before and after photo on Transformation Tuesday. It worked. So then you did it again. I'm sure Transformation Tuesday, a lot of people were posting similar types of photos. What was it about the one that you posted do you think generated all these followers and all that buzz? I don't think I'm the only one that capitalized. And I think there were a lot of people that would post similar things. I think the difference was, I mean, that one post, for some reason, if I post my sister, I think seeing the two people and a decade apart, I think that's noticeable. It's a little more uh, powerful than just seeing oh, this was me two months ago. This is me two months, like 10 years, with two people. I think that's a, and family for some reason, that's more powerful. But no, I wasn't the only one that was able to capitalize on it. I think the biggest difference was, like I told you, that that doesn't work now. And it didn't work a year after that. I guess I got lucky when it happened and other people got lucky. But the thing is when their luck runs out, they stop. Once it's no longer easy and they have to actually put in thought and effort into thinking of something else, that's when they give up and they kind of drop off and they disappear. Whereas that never happened to me, I found other things that worked and I just kept evolving and changing and figuring out what's next. Well, Brittany, if you're listening to this episode, I'm pretty sure Adam just said a lot of his success is due to, in part to you. So you should be asking for a part of his proceeds going forward. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she's listening. <laughs> Fair enough. My mom will be listening though. Hi, how are you? <laughs> So going forward, you graduated law school. Did you ever get another job after no. law school? Yeah. Well, I was working part-time for a law firm while in law school, but I quit that, I think, before I even graduated. And that was the last real job I had. And once you introduced your ebook to the market, how much of your focus was selling more ebooks? And how much was it just growing as large of a social following as possible? So when I first launched it, I never expected it to be like a full-time thing. I just was getting tired of getting so many messages from people asking me questions that I knew I could answer and get paid for and answering for free. So that was really my main focus. I just wanted to be able to send it to people. I don't even believe I marketed it when I first launched it. Looking back, I was very stupid with that. So back when I first launched it, that wasn't really a focus. I just wanted to have it to help people. But my main focus was really just growing the page because I knew I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I just knew that 
having the following at some point, it would be very beneficial. So growing was always the main focus. At some point with the ebook, I don't know when I clicked, but I realized like my marketing sucked. I could easily sell a lot more if I just tried. So I started posting reviews, testimonials, ads for it. And at that point, I started selling like 10 times more than I was. And it was basically 75% more of my income for years. Uh, it did better than I ever could have imagined. And it would still be selling now, but I launched something that I think is, I know is better. So it's not my main thing anymore. What did you launch? It's an online training platform with an app. And the app is just much better. And you still get the ebook, but it's basically updated version of the ebook. It's like my ebook in digital form, I guess you could say, where everything is all done for you rather than reading the book and having to put that put together your meal plan yourself, put together your training yourself. I do that all for you. And it's all accessible on an app with tutorials and visuals. And it's just, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to handle for people that don't feel like reading a book. And the app is great. Walks you through. You get to watch a video of Adam for every single workout you do, which, which is always yeah. great. People love that. <laughs> and then nutrition planning as well. So how long has the app been in the market now? Uh, July. So it's about seven months now. When did you first have the idea to build this app? Years ago, honestly. The only reason I waited so long was because the ebook was selling well. and I was always scared to launch something else that was going to compete with the ebook. I wanted to wait for the ebook to really die down because I was scared I would launch this. It wouldn't do well. The ebook would stop selling too. And now I'm stuck with nothing when I had a good thing going. So I really had the idea like 2018, 2019, but I didn't start actually working on it till later on. I wish I did it sooner. I was kind of paralyzed by the success of the ebook. I just never expected it to do as well as it did for so long. So it kind of held me back from doing more. But eventually I realized it's just the ebook just felt a little outdated. And I felt like I needed to get ahead of it now before they're so outdated. I want to get into the app. I find it fascinating that you were able to build this app. And I want to understand your go-to-market and how you've been acquiring customers. But one last question on the ebook. You mentioned that not at first, but you started marketing the ebook. And that's when it started taking off. What was your marketing strategy? So it all started with just one person sent me a DM of like a testimonial, just telling me that, that help before and after picture. And I looked at it and I'm like, I should put this on my Instagram story. And I put it on my story. And that one day I sold way more than I ever sold before. And it just hit me. I'm like, why was I not doing this before? From that day, I remember I was sitting in an environmental law class. When I opened my phone, I saw the testimonial and I put it on my story. So that day is when I started doing it. And from that day on, every day, I'd be posting testimonials. And I guess people, they like to see themselves on my story. So all the people that bought my book who had results, they start seeing other people on my story. They want to be on my story too. So at that point, every single day, I would get so many testimonials before and after pictures. And I have like a folder on my phone of hundreds of those. So that's all I was really doing. I was just showing legitimate testimonials from people. And I was just posting those on my story, putting them on my page. And that's really all I did. So when you say you started investing in marketing... I didn't use the word investing because I didn't really spend much money on marketing at all. It was really just using my page, which is why I said before, I knew having the following eventually would turn out to be beneficial. That's incredible. So what I meant by investing is you were investing your time into marketing, but it was all totally organic being able to, to get as many downloads as you did. Pretty much, yeah. That's incredible. Best performing day. How many ebook downloads were there? In like the mid hundreds, I guess. That's incredible. That is amazing. So much of this is due to you posting consistently good quality content. I think that's the most important part. 
lot of people they take their audience for granted. They post a lot of crappy ads and sponsors, and you start losing the trust of your followers when they don't know if you're just posting something because you're getting paid or you're actually believing it. So if you notice my page, there's very, very, very few things I'll ever push. I'm with Legion, a supplement company, and then I basically push my own stuff, and that's it. And it's not because I don't get reached out to by other companies. It's because I feel like every time you post anything, you're slightly, even if it's very slight, you're diminishing your reputation to everyone else by posting something else. So I'm very picky with who I'm willing to work with. I appreciate my followers. I don't take their relationship for granted. So I want them to trust me. And I think that trust pays off because then when you're selling your own product, they trust you because why wouldn't they trust you when you're basically being honest with them from day one? I used your promo code to buy a scale once. I have to step on it three times to get an accurate measurement. I like that you've limited your scope of the brand that, that you support now. <laughs> I do I did use that scale myself, though. It works for me. <laughs> uh, well, there's always about a four-pound variance weigh-in, so I just take the lower one, but maybe I should be averaging it out. <laughs> How much time do you invest in posting on Instagram? I mean, it's hard to say because I don't necessarily track it. But I would say it's whatever anyone thinks it is, it's significantly more. It's not just sitting on your phone, like posting. I mean, it's the brainstorming, just thinking of the ideas. I mean, it's not easy to think of ideas constantly. So I'd say I'm probably thinking of ideas the majority of the day. Whether I'm actually acting on it or not is one thing, but like I'm always thinking of new ideas. Then there's writing a caption. There is the actual posting it. I mean, I couldn't give you a specific amount of time, but I would say the majority of my day is thinking of a post, making the post, writing the caption and all that stuff. And do you do this all by yourself? Most of it. I mean, all the ideas are me. I'm in everything. I do have help with editing certain videos, but for the most part, it's me. So when I see your post today, when did you create that post? Today's Wednesday. Right before we got on, I posted a, a reel. It was a video. I recorded that last Thursday, I believe. It's a good example. It's a, it's a video of me talking to myself. I play two different characters. One of me asks the other me a question and I answer myself. So it's a dialogue. So just to think of the topic takes time. And then once I have the topic, I need to think of the text and the dialogue that I'm going to use, which is not easy because I want it to fit in a certain time frame. I want it to be succinct to the point. Once I have the dialogue, I need to record it. That's not always necessarily easy. Eventually, once I record it, I need to do the caption. I need to edit it. So just one video. I mean, not every post is equivalent. Some posts are a lot simpler. Instagram is more video now, so videos definitely take longer. But just one video, I would say if you edit it all up, it's probably it's at least a couple hours. So there's some content, like you're recording your, your workouts, which mm. you do regularly. And then there's other Instagram posts that you probably posted years ago, but now you have new followers or or people forgot about that content that you're able Mm -hmm. to repost. So what percent of it is content that is consistently every week? It's the same theme. So therefore, it doesn't take too much planning and mental energy to do versus what percent of your content do you want to be like new and original on a weekly basis? Yeah. So the stories that you're referring to, like the workouts, those are just basically I'm showing you what my workout is. Like I'm not trying to do anything overly creative with that. But even that, it still takes some thought because I don't want it to be too monotonous and boring because I, I do want people to watch and I know it could get boring. Because you have to find the eggplant. It's fun. Well, you laugh at that, but people like doing, people like that. I'm not laughing. Watch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you watch other fitness people, they think they're the center of the universe and people just want to watch them no matter what. So they don't put in any effort to make their stuff somewhat entertaining. They're just like, oh, it's, it's me. People want to watch me. I don't think that at all. I think people, I'm like, I don't know why people want to watch this. So let me at least try to make it as entertaining as possible. So the workout stories, I wouldn't say, I don't put too much thought into that. 
that's more just showing my day. As far as the posts, like you said, the reposts, that's always a delicate balance because there's a few factors. There's one, what you said, new followers are following me right now. They obviously didn't see posts from six months ago. Also, the algorithm is always changing with reach. So every time I make a post, it's not being seen by all my followers. It's only being seen by a small portion of them. So just because I posted something six months ago between the people that followed me that just didn't see it, the new people now that didn't see it, I can make a post today that I made six months ago that most people who are now seeing it didn't see it the first time. Then, of course, you got the people that are like, oh, you reposted it. But it's like, for every one of those, I get messages every single day. I get people asking me a question about a post that I literally made the day before. So they're asking me a question and even they didn't see the post that's literally sitting on my page answering their questions. So it's a delicate balance, but no, you definitely have to repost because again, you're only doing yourself a disservice by not recycling your content you worked to create. And you're doing your followers a disservice because the truth is they didn't see it. And even if they did see it, it was six months ago that you're not the only person they follow. They follow plenty of other people. They don't, they didn't remember your post necessarily. So no, you definitely need to repost. But as far as new content, I would say it depends. But like this week, for example, I guess like five of my posts would be new. Then depending on how much, I guess that's like 50% new, 50% repost. But even the repost, I, a lot of times it's not the exact same thing. It's uh, I'll update it. I'll tweak it. But I guess 50-50 is kind of what I'm looking at. I try to not repost for at least like six to eight months. So it's not like I'm reposting it every two weeks or whatever. I assume the reason you're reposting is because it was a post that got a lot of likes. It had a lot of engagement. And therefore, you were doing your followers a service by posting it again to resurface no, like The first comment will be, oh, do a post on this. And I'm just thinking, well, I guess you didn't see last week's post when I did that. So I'm like, <laughs> but it just reaffirms my mind that, okay, well, in six months, you could repost it because even people that follow you now didn't see it from last week. So clearly you could repost it again. It's a little different than YouTube because YouTube has a good search function. So if you made a video on a topic and you search it, it's there. Instagram, there's no good search function. So like if I make a post on something, like even I won't be able to find it. I had a video that I posted a year ago on like my pre-workout warm-up routine and people wanted to find it and they can't because it's so hard to scroll down. I'm like, I know it's there, but I'm not going to scroll down either. So they could definitely improve their search function. I follow you on Instagram. That's the main channel I follow you on. What other social channels are you posting on? Instagram is the main thing. I mean, I have a YouTube channel, but I stopped making like real YouTube videos like years ago. I started TikTok, but it's not really any different than Instagram. It's really just the same thing as Instagram for me. So I mean, Instagram is really the main thing. Has TikTok, have you figured out that algorithm at all? I can't stand TikTok as a career. I like it like a user scrolling through it. I find it very entertaining. But as far as creating content on it, I don't enjoy it. I started the account like three years ago and then didn't touch it. And I should have done it sooner because Instagram and TikTok follow a very similar cycle where it was easy to grow when they started. And now it's not so easy to grow. So the thing is, I don't put enough effort into the TikTok. I really just take stuff that I posted on Instagram, put it on TikTok. If I really wanted to capitalize on TikTok. I would need to do stuff specifically for TikTok, which I'm just, I'm just not willing to do right now. You focus is so important. And it's something that I've always admired. You're focusing on one social channel. You're focusing on one of your products that you're going to market with at a time. And I think that's why you've had so much success. Yeah. I mean, I do think diversifying is a good idea, but I think a lot of people with TikTok, the only reason they started TikTok was because they were struggling to grow on Instagram. So they started TikTok because it was easy to grow. So it kind of stroked their ego. They weren't really getting any benefit out of it. It feels nice when you see your content being seen by people. 
So I understand why people do it, but it's kind of just doesn't actually benefit you just to keep bouncing around to stroke your ego. You need to kind of get through the tough times and just get through it. So getting back to the Fow Fitness app, what happened between having this idea for an app and actually having it live in the app store? I had the idea for a while. I basically wanted, if someone came to me or if someone, someone comes to me and they want a training program, a meal plan, I want to give you a product that's as simple as possible to help you reach your goals. You don't really need to second guess anything. You don't need to put any thought into it. Just here, sign up, take the plan, here are the videos, here's a meal plan, just follow it. You'll get results. Like that's what I wanted. That's what the ebook is. But like I said before, the ebook still requires you to actually put the plan together yourself. I give you the knowledge, you still need to put the plan together. I wanted to make it even simpler. I wanted to actually give you the knowledge and give you the plan and make it as easy to follow. So that was the idea. And then it just basically, I did some research, found some companies, developers that can create the app. Once I had that, it was basically just a matter of recording exercise tutorials to put in the app, figuring out how I wanted everything to function and work together. I'm not an expert in developing and all the app stuff. I have a team that help me get that to in the app store and all that stuff. I'm just more the guy that put all the backend stuff together in terms of how it works. I'm not the one that coded it and all that stuff. Literally and physically, right? Yeah. I mean, so you look at the app, it's all my programs. It's all what you get working with me and all that stuff. But I mean, I'm not the guy that actually physically went in the code and did all that stuff. Right. I was trying to make a back workout joke that missed. Sorry. <laughs> how has the app been received by the market? It's good. So the thing is that I have an app, but it's not exactly just an app. So you'll see other people with an app. And the difference is their app, it's static. They basically upload their workouts, their diets, meal, whatever they want. And you can choose to follow it if you want, but it's not tailored to you. It's just basically what they decide to add to it and you can copy them. I did not want that because I felt like I already provide that on my store. If you want to see what my workouts are, I give that to you for free. If you want to see what I'm eating, I show you that for free. This is a customized training program meal plan that comes with an app. So when you sign up for it, no two people are getting the same thing. You're inputting all your information, your goals, what you want to do, your height, your weight, all that stuff. And then you're getting a routine and a meal plan that's suited for you. So the things that you're following aren't just some arbitrary thing that I decide to upload that you're copying. Just Again, I didn't want that. I wanted it to be tailored to you. So it's really more of a custom training program meal plan that's accessible on an app, not necessarily a training app, because there are training apps, but those aren't customized to you. The whole idea of this is it's customized to you. Yeah, and it truly is. Why did you decide to stop selling the ebook and include it when someone signs up for your service? I had a couple of reasons. I don't know if I'm right or not, but I felt like it would confuse people. I felt like at first, if you have two things that you're selling, people look at it like they don't know which one to buy and then they don't buy anything. So I kind of wanted to force people to just not have to make a decision, just sign up. Also figure that by selling the ebook was 20 bucks. This is 25. I figured if you were going to buy the ebook for 20, you're like, hey, I might as well sign up for this. See how that is. If I don't like it, I'll just keep the ebook and I'll cancel after a month and I'm basically in the same spot. And my hope was that you wouldn't cancel. But if you did cancel, I'm in no worse spot because you would have just bought the ebook one time anyway. That makes sense to me. What is the most common question you get asked? Do you want to know the real answer? Yes. Does masturbation affect me building muscle? That's actually the most common question you get asked. That's the most common question. How often do you get asked that question? Multiple times daily. What's the answer? 
I'm actually making a post on it next week because I got asked so much. I'm like, I'm doing a video on this. So next week, I'll be making a video on this. Oh my gosh. Multiple times daily. That's what people are asking you. Yes. And honestly, I thought I was like a troll at first, but it's a legitimate question. If you Google it, YouTube it, there's videos on it. There's articles on it. It's a very commonly asked question. I don't want to get into it, but uh, yeah, I don't, want to get, I don't, ex- I don't either. <laughs> I'm excited to see your Instagram post on it. What is a question that people aren't asking that they should ask more? So this is a big problem. They ask the wrong questions a lot of times and they don't know they're asking the wrong questions. So they get the wrong answers. So a lot of times people, they don't know what they should be asking to get the answer that they're looking for. I mean, let me just try to think of an example. So just for example, someone will be like, is it okay if I train biceps and chest on the same day? And there's not really an answer. To that. Well, the answer is yes, you could train biceps and triceps on the same day, but that'd be the question you should be asking. What's your entire routine? And you find out that their entire routine is set up terribly and biceps and chest on the same day, it's basically irrelevant in comparison to what they should be asking, which is, what should my workout routine be? Because they're focusing on something that doesn't really matter one way or the other, and they're ignoring the bigger picture, which is their entire routine. So I get questions like that all the time where they're focusing on something that's really insignificant. It's not going to really matter. And they're not asking the bigger picture question, which they should be asking. What can people do in order to get a more holistic understanding of fitness in order to be able to ask the right questions? I mean, honestly, they should read my ebook. It would give them a good basic understanding. I mean, I tell people that like, they ask me questions. I'm like, just scroll through my posts. You don't need to give me any money. Just scroll through my posts. Just spend some time reading stuff. That'll help. I mean, there's no shortcuts to knowing what you need to do. I give a lot of stuff for free. You can buy my book for $20. I think that's a good start. You could buy someone else's book for probably $20 and give you a good start. I mean, everything is available on the internet, the internet for free as well. But if you're not going to put in the effort, then you can't expect results. The most annoying questions I would say I would get are the lazy questions where it's just, what are your thoughts on blank? And there's just no context. What are your thoughts on a keto diet? Well, I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about your goals. I don't know what you're doing now. I don't know why you're deciding to do the keto diet. I don't have any thoughts on the keto in regards to you because I don't know anything about you. So if you're only to ask about keto, at least ask the question with context. So like, my goal is to lose weight. You need to give some context so I can at least help you. That's probably my biggest pet peeve. Or when someone just goes, uh, tips for blank, you have to give some context. So like if you want someone to give you like a legitimate answer, you need to ask a legitimate question. And that's something that annoys me. That should be in your bio. If you want to ask me a legitimate... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to turn people off, but I mean, that's the truth. And then a lot of people, they don't expect me to respond. So I'll respond to my DMs, which most people, I guess, don't do. So they're not expecting a response. So I'll ask a very lazy, stupid question. And then if I respond, they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting to respond. So I'm like, should I just not have responded then? To that point, what is your policy on responding to questions? I am a little bit more strict than I used to be. I used to respond to every single question. And then I realized you just get taken advantage of. People think they're entitled to your time and they're not. So if you ask a legitimate question, I'll answer you. If I have to dive back and forth into like a legitimate dialogue with you just to figure out what you're asking, I'm probably not going to answer. But if you give me actual question that I have enough information to answer, I'll answer. I also like having conversations with actual people. So like when I see an avatar of like Pikachu or you don't have a picture, I'm less motivated to answer you because I don't know who I'm talking to. If I feel like I'm talking to an actual person with like a real picture and I can tell like who you are, I'll talk to you. But like from my perspective, I don't want to talk to some troll account or if your avatar is no picture, or like I said, a Pokemon, like I'm less likely to want to have a conversation with you, but you have a normal picture and you're a normal person. 
asking a question that I can answer, I'm more than happy to answer. Uh, you look at every single question that people are asking, you personally? No one has access to my account. Uh, that's one thing I'm very neurotic and paranoid about. No one's touching my Instagram account. And I'm sure the answer is it depends. But with 1.4 million followers, what does that typically translate to in terms of DMs? See, I'm very on top of it. I never let them build up. I probably got more DMs when I had fewer followers, honestly, because I feel like when you get to a point where they just assume you're not mm. going to respond, so I think I get less now. I probably got more when I had like a couple hundred thousand followers because it was like big enough where people wanted you to respond, but small enough that people didn't think there was no shot. So I think I actually get less now than I used to, but it's still weekly. It's in the thousands, I guess. When was the first time you got stopped on the street that someone recognized you? I don't know the first time. It happens all the time. It does happen all the time? It does happen all the time. You know, it's funny now because this one happens a lot now. People will come up to me and they'll be like, you know, I follow this guy on Instagram who looks exactly like you. And they'll take out their phone and they'll show me my page. And I'll be like, that's me. They're like, no. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no way. So that actually happens a lot. Do you ask them okay. questions before you say it's you? Like, oh, what do you think of this guy's content? Oh, this app is great. I don't do that. I probably should. It usually catches you off guard. Like, you're never expecting it to happen. Like, you call me famous. Like, if you're Derek Jeter, you probably expect that you're on guard for all the time. Like, I'm never on guard for it. So when it happens, I always find it funny and it always amuses me, but I'm never ready for it. I don't have anything I prepared that I'm going to say. I just react in the moment. What's next for Foul Fitness? Like I said before, the app's only like seven months old. I just want to grow the, the whole online platform as much as possible. I mean, that's really my main focus at the moment. Just scale it as much as I can. Adam, it's been amazing watching your journey. And a lot of my favorite memories of us hanging out growing up, when we weren't bowling or playing sports, it was like laughing just about just silly things. I love that you've been able to incorporate your sense of humor, which I always thought was an amazing sense of humor into content that is so helpful to helping people on their fitness journey. I'm a big fan. It's been amazing watching you. And thank you for what you've provided to all of us. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. This is fun. Well, no, I'm not letting it. you go yet. We have a lightning round first before I let you go. Four questions. Okay. You got two minutes to answer them. Are you ready? Two minutes total or two minutes each? Two minutes total. So first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> okay. One, favorite youth sports memory? Third grade basketball. We were terrible. I was on the yellow team. We were, wore colored shirts. We didn't win a game all year, but I hit a not quite half court shot, but almost half court buzzer shot. It actually went in and the ref called it no good. And thinking back, he was probably right. Probably didn't beat the buzzer, but I was in third grade. We didn't win a game all year. Should have given it to me. I love it. Jericho Athletic Association, I asked. Second question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, depends on the age, but I guess I wanted to be a baseball player when I was younger. That's probably what I wanted to be. You were pretty good. You were okay. Third question. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? Coinbase Super Bowl commercial. You like that? Uh, I thought it was genius. Apparently, they got 20 million website visits from that and their website crashed. Gymshark, what Gymshark did is impressive. They basically built their company off basically regular people. They never hired any like typical fitness models, just regular gym guys. And they built their brand to be a huge success. So I give them credit for what they were able to do. This is an aside. So pause on the lightning round. What year can we expect a Super Bowl commercial for Fat Fitness? Never. I mean, you're not going to see me do that. 
What are, what are they cost? <laughs> what are they like thirty million dollars for thirty seconds? Only six million. Only six million. Yeah, I don't think people want to reach their fitness goals while they're eating wings and chips watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> Fair enough. Last question: What is your go-to cause to support? I guess cancer research. Adam, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. This is fun. You don't get to do a podcast with people that you live three houses away from all the time. <laughs> well, actually, now you can do it all the time. So. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wingrin Podcast. We spoke to Adam Fow, the CEO of Fow Fitness, and also my childhood friend, and covered a wide range of topics, including how to build a social media following, how to monetize that following, and most importantly, how to follow your dreams and do something you're passionate about. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. See you next time, everyone. Play on. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.